Good morning. Good to see you this morning. James chapter 1, if you would please. James chapter 1. Just think, when today is finished, you are finished with two weeks of this semester. See how quickly it goes by? That's great news unless you haven't started projects yet. And then it's like, oh boy, uh, that's going to come on us quickly. It's great to be here this morning. You will see a lot more of me come the spring. I'm here every day in the spring, but don't teach in the fall. You think Dr. Veal was joking. He wasn't. It's all they can handle, for sure, with that. So, uh, but it's my, it's my privilege. I've been senior pastor of Emmanuel almost 11 years, which absolutely blows my mind uh, as well. We've been here a little over 29 years, and uh, so God has been so good to us. We're going to look this morning, and I, I know you got notes in front of you, but I don't want you to look at those yet, because I don't want you to think, where is he going with this? You can flip them over and take other notes if you want to. I want to look this morning at what I've entitled the message, The Anatomy of Temptation. Okay, how many of us in this room are ever tempted? Okay, the rest of you are lying. Okay, um, either that or you don't know how to get your hand up very much, right? You're like... What about faculty members? The answer to that is yes. Okay. Um, you're, there's only one time when you will become immune to temptation. That is when you're dead. Okay. We're, we're all susceptible to this. What I want to do this morning by way of a message and then hopefully towards the end some practical application is, basically if you want to call it this, I want to teach you how to counsel yourself. What happens when I have a sin that I just can't seem to get over or it keeps coming back to me over and over again? What, what do I do with that? Um, and I, listen, it's not a problem to go to a faculty member or your pastor and say, hey, I can use some help with this. Not a problem at all. But eventually, you will be the pastor. You will be potentially the faculty member or whatever. And you're going to need to know how to handle this in your own life. And one of the most important things that we can live by is to understand that we are at war. Now, that term is used awful lot today. Sports figures will say, you know, we were out there at war today on the ball field. And it's like, I know you weren't. Uh, You were playing a game, okay? Um, You may have thought someone was trying to kill you, but they actually weren't, right? I mean, it's like, this is not actually at war. But the fact is, the Word of God uses the war analogy regularly to refer to our spiritual life. Okay, it tells us to put on the armor of God. Paul talks about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ and so forth. Now, sometimes we forget that. We forget that there is a war raging around us. I've used this example before, but my uncle spent time in Vietnam. He was in Vietnam less than a couple of minutes when his best friend who he had went through all the training with put his boot on a shine stand and was blown to pieces. My uncle says, as I picked the flesh of my buddy off of me, nobody had to tell me we were at war. Now, we don't have physical flesh, if you will, being picked off of us. But ask some faculty members how many students have sat right where you're sitting today that have been casualties to this war good people, people who are already in the ministry, people who could have given you the right answers, 
okay? So this is really important. Now, there is, let me give you one quote that I thought is, is really interesting. There is a war being raged for a believer's soul. Now, I'm not talking about whether or not they will go to heaven or hell. If you're a believer, that's already established. But can I tell you that Satan just as much wants to destroy you? He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy everything about you. Now, we know there's three aspects of this. There is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible talks about all those. In Galatians 5 and verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. They're contrary, the one to the other. There's also the devil. We know that he's out there. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians tells us, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We certainly wrestle against the world, right? That we may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, Philippians tells us. Those things are all true. And I've said often in my classes, you kids, young adults, you will deal with things in ministry that most of us would have never thought possible 30 years ago. You're going to counsel things that we would have not thought possible 30 years ago. The world is rapidly changing, and it's not good. It's not good. The battleground is in the heart. The Bible equates the heart with the mind, will, and emotions. Okay, and we're, we're not going to spend uh, a great deal uh, on all of those aspects. But today, I want us to concentrate on your flesh. Okay, that is what happens when that comes from within you, which is what James says, okay? Our own sinful tendencies. In our text, James never mentions the enemy. It's not because he's ignorant of him. He does say that later in James chapter 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The truth is it's because the enemy from within is also powerful and must be kept in check. Now, let's look at our text, and then we'll talk a little bit about the background. James 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, what is James actually dealing with here in the larger context of James chapter 1? He's opened with the, the, the purpose of difficulties. Look over at verse 2. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various diverse types of temptations. So that can come. But as we respond to difficulties, there is a tendency for us to sin in those difficulties. Okay? Yeah. One author said, James offered a sharp rebuke to those who find an easy excuse for their sinning. To free themselves from responsibility, they say, I am tempted by God or from God, denoting the origin, not merely the agency. James made it abundantly clear, God cannot be tempted. There's nothing in God to which evil can make an appeal. He is literally untemptable. Furthermore, he tempts no one. God often tests us, but he never tempts us. And you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If God brings a difficulty into my life and I get angry over that, then that's God's fault. No, that's your fault. That came from within you. Because other people have responded to the same types of difficulty and not responded in anger. 
Anger is a choice that you get to make. So James is saying, hey, let's don't make this excuse. Another author said, that which can change a trial into a temptation is the attitude with which we meet it. And we fail the trial when we turn to blaming God. Now, this is not a matter of if you will have trials or difficulties. Most of you have probably experienced some of those already, some on a larger scale than others. But it's not if, it's when. You are going to face difficult times. And how we respond to those difficult times says an awful lot about us, about what we really believe about our God. And so forth. Now, let's look at a couple of things here. And I want us to see this central truth. We must recognize that sin comes from within us and we can say no. Okay? In other words, and, and I don't have time to develop all this throughout Scripture, but you do not have to sin. And you're like, wait a minute, Pastor, are you preaching sinless perfection? No. I'm just saying that you can choose to sin or you can choose not to sin if you're redeemed. All right, if God's redeemed you, then you have that choice. You have the power to be victorious over sin. Let's look at this explanation. We're just going to kind of break these, some significant words down in this text. The word tempt means to entice to improper behavior. Above all, the devil works in this way. Hence, he is directly called the tempter. Okay, it means to be incited to something. The word drawn away means to draw away with the connotation of initial reluctance. It also has the idea of taken in tow by their own desires. Okay, so they're taken in tow by that which is there. That's why your default mode is sin. That's what you will naturally do. Now, this is interesting. It says drawn away of your own lusts. This is an exclusive relationship, a contrast, if you will, not between the types of desire but sources of temptation. Those who succumb have only themselves to blame, as one author said. Temptations are tailored to the individual, and so we as believers must never belittle a person for struggling with something we think of as silly. It's interesting because we have our own temptations and everyone in this room does. And you can look at someone else and say, I can't believe that person is a worry ward. That's all you got to do. Just what, what are you doing? Just pray. Turn it over to God. Doesn't God say not to worry? Well, they could turn that around on you for whatever your temptation is and say, well, why don't you just solve this? <laughs> We'll talk about some of those in just a little bit. Isn't it interesting today? We have laws that are being introduced in various houses of Congress and so forth that they should begin to regulate people. Matter of fact, there are some out there saying that they ought to regulate fast food. And people are saying, yes, regulate fast food because being overweight is the fast food restaurant's fault. Right? It has nothing to do with you saying no to the double quarter pounder with cheese and large fry and apple pie and a large drink, right? Has nothing to do with that. <laughs> I saw this one in an article where a, they interviewed a parent who said, yes, we believe we are to legislate the amount of time our kids can spend on devices. And I'm like, yeah, like you can't do that on your own? Like it's called no 
right? You take the iPad away from the kid. And by the way, no law will solve that. No law will solve that at all. This word lust obviously is desire. Most of you know that. Now, this is interesting. Desire for something which is forbidden or simply inordinate in its desire. Okay, don't, don't miss this. There are things that are outright forbidden in Scripture. We can't have those. Then there are things that are perfectly legitimate in Scripture, but we can distort those. They can become inordinate in our desires. Right? Let me give you an example of me. Okay, that way all of you can feel a little more relaxed. All right? It's taken me years to reach this, but eventually God really drilled down on me that food was a God to me. Matter of fact, back in March, I began in my prayer life to call certain things idols in my life. By the way, when you call something an idol, it sounds a lot worse than anything else. So if you'd have heard my personal prayer time this morning, I'd tell you what I would have prayed. One of the things, I'm not tell you everything. Well, one of the things I'd prayed was, God, help me not to bow down to the idol of food. Now, question, do we need food? We do. So it's not a forbidden, but it can be inordinate. Now, let me tell you how it's applied to me, all right? Um, don't tell anybody this, even though this is going out live stream. I understand that. I was being tongue-in-cheek there, but... I do not like hospital visits. You're like, you're a pastor. I know that. And I didn't say I don't do them. I just don't like them, okay? Now, if somebody had a baby, great. That's no problem. My wife and I can go in there. It's a cute baby, you know, this kind of stuff. But when someone just gets a diagnosis that they have cancer that's inoperable and they're going to go home and die, I, I, I don't like those visits. Now, I do the... Because I love our people and I want to do that. But, man, when I leave a hospital visit after that, I am emotionally drained. Okay? And my first thought, my default mode when I walk out of a place like that is, let's go get something to eat. Because a double cheeseburger with bacon and fries and a Coke has got to help. Now, I want you to listen to this. All right? It's a little funny, but I want you to listen to me. What's the difference in that and going and getting a shot of whiskey or popping a pill or smoking a weed or anything else? The answer is it's not any different because where I'm going to is not to God. Ouch. That's been difficult to deal with and it's taken a long time to change. Now, I could go into all the other aspects. Weight, by the way, is not just about somebody overeating, though it certainly can contribute to that. There are other issues that come with that. But for me, whether I'm thin or not doesn't matter. What I do with the God of my life and who I bow down to is important to my spiritual life. So I have to constantly say that to God. God, help me not to do that. I have other idols too. Those are none of your business at this point, all right? It's okay. You can laugh. It's all right. all right. You have them too, by the way. I'm not going to make you come up here and tell those. One author said it refers here to an intense longing for an improper object that is anything that gets in the way 
of our pursuit of God. So what's gotten in the way of your pursuit of God? I know where I'm at, but your classes can get in the way of your pursuit of God, and they can be an idol. Your diploma can be an idol. Your ministry can be an idol. Someone asked me one time, do you love the ministry or do you love God? It's not the same. I was like, whew, that hurts too. By the way, Dr. Jim Berg calls these your designer lust. Your designer lust. In other words, they are designed for you. Okay, I want you to think right now, what's your designer lust? You don't have to answer me, but what's your designer lust? What is it that you go to? What is your sin tendency immediately? You're like, just one? No, you can probably come up with two or three pretty quickly. But if you're sitting there and you don't have any, that's because Satan's got you fooled. You are to know where your default mode goes to every single time. The word enticed means to lure by the use of bait, to arouse someone's interest in something. The word used here, the Greek word, describes drawing in an unsuspecting victim with an attractive bait or lure. When our sinful desires and supersized, Ill, I'm sorry, supersized legitimate desires motivate us to choose what we want apart from God, we sin. So a person both builds and baits his own trap. Okay, so let's go back to my illustration. This morning, if you would like to tempt me, a hamburger would do it. A salad would not. (laughs) Just not going to happen. Now, I'm on a unique diet right now, and the guy who encouraged me to do this said at the end of this time, which is a 30-day process, he said, I even wanted a salad. And I'm like, bro, this will be a miracle of evident proportions if that takes place. (laughs) At the end of 30 days, if I want a salad, we got major problems, okay? But that's not where I, that's not my tendency, right? Many sinful actions begin as casual thoughts, but dwelling on them can turn minor temptations into major transgressions. Now, James continues in this passive scripture, and then he uses the word conceived. Then when lust hath conceived, a child being born. That, that's, the, that's the word picture that James is using. A sin is born, okay? And when it brings forth, what is it? It's sin. That's what it brings forth. Sin prefers to misuse and mistreat what God has designed. Every time, that's what our sin wants to do. When it's finished, it brings it to completion. What is the completion of sin? Death. That's the completion. This speaks both of physical life and spiritual life. It is part of the process. Desire is conceived when a person yields to temptation, which results in the birth, if you will, of sin. As sin matures, this ultimately leads to God's judgment of death. I did a funeral on Friday. It was a result of sin. Not that that believer was living a life of sin, but all death is attributed back to sin. That's how it entered into the world. Now, here's the thing, young people. Sometimes... 
people have the idea of, I sinned and I didn't immediately die, and so therefore I'm okay. Question, did Adam and Eve immediately physically die? They did not. By the way, it wasn't long until somebody did. And then a bunch of somebodies. If you work through the book of Genesis, this may not be the official theme of the book of Genesis, but can I tell you one of the themes? And he died, 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 and he died. I mean, it's over and over and over again in the book of Genesis. Why? Sin. That's why. That's what happened. The wages of sin is death. Now, I want us to look at number two, the example. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but in Genesis chapter 3, Satan was present here. We know that, so that's, that's more than just coming from within. But he appealed to Eve's desires, didn't he? Desires that could not be righteously satisfied. Okay? How many rules in our rule book do we need to have for you to want to disobey it? One. Like, not me. You're better than Eve. Because that's all they had. They had one rule. One rule. I want to ask the question, and I know the answer because of my old flesh, but why was she even close to the tree? there There was plenty of other good things for her to do. What was Ruth's root problem? Well, her root problem was unbelief. She didn't believe what God actually said. At some point, all of our sin choices are rooted in unbelief. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. We do not believe what God said about you fill in the blank. I will be the exception to the rule. I know most people pay this way, but not me. I know that I'm not supposed to have this particular person, but if I marry them, I'm going to be happy. Like you're going to be the exception to the rule. You won't be. It never happens that way. Now, this started by a glance. If you're taking notes, just put this little acrostic in your notes, if you would. It started by a passing glance, if you will. It's what I call sight. If you go to Genesis 3, you can see this. She saw. Number two, then she lingered to listen, what I call interest. What's he got to say about this? What about this fruit? Then she took the fruit and ate it, what I call the the old good southern word, nab. That's because it needs to go S-I-N. You get the point there? Sight, interest, nab it. Apply that over and over again in Scripture. I mean, it's, it's absolutely everywhere. We, we don't have time this morning to walk through it, but we could take examples from the crowd. I started to do that this morning. But what about Achan? What did he do? He saw a Babylonian and he thought that it would be good, da da da, da and then he took. Right? It, it's here all the time it happens. So what desires do we have that are either sinful outright or can be sinful if used wrong? I would encourage you to take some time to figure out who in the Bible represents your designer lust. Who in the Bible represents that? You're like, I don't think there's anybody in the Bible. There have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. I doubt it's not in the Bible somewhere. Okay, and then ask yourself these questions. Did they give in? If they did, what was the result? Did they resist 
how? What was the result? Did Joseph resist? How did he do it? Well, he had a relationship with God that he emphasized, and then he just flat out ran, right? What were the results? You know, he was in prison. Well, yes, but you missed the fact that he was pure. His relationship with God was still intact. Okay, that was the important aspect. And we can apply this over and over again. It's a great way for you to work through. Okay, what does the Bible say about my own designer lust? Okay, and we'll, we'll work through this in just a moment. The third thing is the enslavement. Now, what the devil does not want to tell you, what he doesn't want to tell you, is that sin enslaves. He doesn't want to tell you at the beginning. Matter of fact, if you look at billboards or television commercials or magazine commercials or whatever, it never, never, never shows a guy in a ditch with throw up all over him to illustrate drinking. This bud's for you, right? That's not the picture they show, is it? You ever seen an advertisement like that? No, 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 no. It never shows a guy with his wife and children beaten to a pulp, laying in a puddle of blood and holding a can of beer up. They never show that. Why? Because that's not what they want to show. They want to show the strapping guy. He's got a beautiful girl on his side. They're laughing. Life is grand if you drink this. You understand the devil's a liar, right? (laughs) Every bit of it. It may seem strange, but James warned his dear brothers and sisters who were to read this genealogy, the birth thing, not to be deceived or led astray. Just as a right response to trials can result in growth to full spiritual maturity, so a wrong response to lust will result in decline to abject spiritual poverty and ultimately to death itself. I love what this author said. Mature believers are tempted to sin. Mature believers sin. But mature believers are not dominated by sin. They don't allow sin to dominate them because they apply scriptural truth to their lives. They know how to handle trials and temptations biblically by growing through them. Okay? Can can I say this to you and... I don't know what Dr. Love teaches, but I have a feeling it's close to this, if not these exact words. If you break counseling down, can I tell you what counseling just in its very simple form is? There's a problem, and we connect Bible truth with the problem. That's pretty much it. Now, I understand there are nuances about it and all that kind of stuff. I understand that. But when we apply Bible truth to a problem, then the Bible has the answers. Do you believe the Bible has the answers for all our sin problems? Absolutely. 1,000%. Okay? Every single time. One author said this, Sin left unchecked becomes voluntary slavery. You're wrapped and wrapped and wrapped. We got a Bible example of that? What what Bible example would come to mind immediately? Samson. I mean, it's, it's like, boom, right there. Okay. Was Samson going to be used greatly by God? Was he set apart to be greatly used by God? Uh, listen, I'm not trying to add to the New Testament, but I'm in application, could we say Samson was like you young people set apart to do something for God? But do you know what? Samson could never tell himself no. 
particularly in the area of sexuality. And he got so, I don't want to offend anybody, but he got so, the Proverbs uses the word brutish. It means stupid. He, he got so stupid that he keeps going back to the same woman who's trying to kill him. That's how wrapped up he was. As believers, we have the only book that describes their situation, our sin situation, prescribes the way out and promises great rewards in both this life and the next if we do so. You can have victory. Absolutely. This is why, by the way, it's critical to be daily in the Word. And adding faith to the Word that you're reading. Hebrews 4.2 says, For unto us... Uh, I'm sorry, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now, I understand it's talking about primarily salvation there, but can I tell you that the word of God will do you no good if you don't mix it with faith either? Allowing it to change you. Hebrews 5 and verse 14, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Quickly, I want to just expand on this just a little bit and and cover one quick thing, and that is there are really four active ingredients when you sin. Okay? And I want you to to just, we're just going to work through this. I don't have time to develop on all, okay? But number one, there's access, right? Do I have access to this particular Sin, whatever it might be. Number two is anonymity. We do it when no one else can see what we're doing. For some sins, that becomes even more important. All right? We try to hide it. Then there's appetite. It satisfies our cravings and our desires. These are either healthy desires gone bad or unhealthy desires to begin with. We've already talked a little bit about that. Someone has said addictions are desires run amok. It's a great definition. And then fourth, there's atheism. Uh, That one's the one that's like, ouch. One author said, if the devil can sow seeds of doubt, he creates a momentary atheist. I heard somebody one time say to me, every time you sin, you temporarily dismiss the presence of God. Now, you understand God didn't go anywhere, but you dismiss it. I, my dad is struggling with some illnesses and probably will not live long. But one thing I learned about my dad, if I did something in front of him that was wrong, I was going to get disciplined significantly. And there were only a couple of times that I did something blatantly in front of him. Matter of fact, the very last, what my daddy called a whooping, which is different than a spanking and it's different than a whipping. A whooping is on another level. I'm just going to tell that to you, right? The last time I got one of those was my brother and I were fighting and we decided to fight in front of him. Really not very bright, okay? And he let us fight. My mom's there like, what are you doing? I'm just like, let him go. So we finally realized, you know, he's watching and not saying anything. This is probably not going to be good for us. So we finally stopped and when we stopped, he said, you guys done? We said, yes, sir. He said, it's my turn. <laughs> it was not fun. It's the last spanking I got, and I remember it. And it's been a really long time ago. <laughs> so what do we do? We don't, we don't typically commit sin in front of someone. 
You're probably not going to have Dr. Lucan standing on the corner and squeal tires out of the dorm down here and come flying down through here at 60 miles an hour, right? Now, we know that some of you do that when we're not looking. Some of you are going, how do you know that? Well, we know that partly because we were 18 once, okay? It doesn't make it right, by the way. But I'm just saying, you're not going to do that in front of people. Okay, we dismiss the presence of God, if you will, when we sin. Now, let's take one example, for instance, of pornography. Pornography is absolutely an epidemic in our churches. This author said this, The luring temptation of pornography starts with an itch. The itch could come from a memory, from a passing jogger, from an innuendo, from a sense of inadequacy, or from a myriad of more sources. The itch is always subtle. It starts with noticing something enticing. Noticing becomes wondering. Wondering turns to scheming. Scheming leads to satisfying the lust. There's a sense that once you've entered into this lust cycle, why there is no escaping it until it is satisfied. It is a ravenous wolf. Once we open it up. By the way, God is not just interested in dealing with your individual sin. Though he does want to deal with that. God wants the whole man. Again, another author said, God is not interested in helping a man overcome only the area of self-centeredness that is most disturbing the man right now. God wants to address the man's life at its self-centered core and in every other area of life infected by his self-centeredness. God wants to do a deep work in you if you will allow Him to do it. Now, what about in just everyday life? How do I apply this to my life? Okay. Now, this is where I want you to turn your paper over, if you had it turned over. This is a chart that I developed um, to try to help some of my counselees work through some problems. Okay, now... One other quote um, here, just real quick. God made the body to be a servant to the heart. Once wrongly trained, that is, we become habituated, it becomes a habit. By a misguided heart, the body has to be untrained and retrained by a renewed heart. One whose commitments, desires, beliefs are molded by God through His Word and His Spirit. Some of you have trained your mind to respond a particular way to certain events every single time. And the way you respond to those is sin. You either worry or you lie or you get angry or whatever, whatever it is. And what has happened is your body has become accustomed to doing that and you do it almost without thinking. It's become a habit. And then you say something like, I can't help it, it's just the way I was made. I remember one counselee, I said to them, how long have you been ate up with anxiety? And the person looked at me and said, I don't ever remember not having anxiety. So as far back in their childhood as they could think, they had always been this person dominated by anxiety. Okay, so here's the questions I want you to ask of yourself. What is my sin tendency? What is it? What's my designer lust? What am I not believing or what am I believing? 
Okay, and is there truth about God that I'm not believing or is there something I am believing? What do I really want? That's going to be a key issue. What do I really want out of this situation? Is this a right? Is this right or wrong? In other words, is it inherently wrong or is it something that's right to do? Food again. Have I taken a right to a wrong conclusion? Okay, so it can be a legitimate right, but have I taken it to a wrong conclusion? And what does the Bible speak about this? Okay, now let's walk through a couple of things here. Anxious and worry. It's probably the number one thing I counsel most of the time. It's, I'm ate up with anxiousness, worry dominates my life and so forth, okay? So that's my sin tendency. What am I not believing or what am I believing? God doesn't know what he's doing. Now, you may not like that, <laughs> but that's ultimately what it is. If I'm worried or if I'm anxious about something, I don't think God can handle it. But you do know that he's the God of the universe, right? He, he, he's got this. Well, maybe he won't handle it the way I think he ought to handle it. That's another issue too, isn't it? <laughs> Still, I want to be in control. And that's important that we recognize that, which is what do I really want? I want control. I want to be able to dictate what my life is like. Some of you people in this room, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, I'm just saying some of you people in this room are hyper-organized and you've got everything laid out. You're one of those weirdos that have a calendar planned for 2027. <laughs> you know, you're just weird. I'm sorry. You're like, you're offended me. So I, I live with one of those. My wife loves to plan. I mean, she loves to plan. You said, is your wife a weirdo? No, 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 no. Let's back off of that, okay? We're not saying that, all right? <laughs> she loves to plan. We're going on vacation, and she's like, okay, what do we want to do here and here and here? And I'm like, nothing. Like, I don't want to plan nothing. I want to wake up in the morning and go, ooh, I feel like doing this. And she's like, okay, like, like that's going to short, short circuit her, right? It's like, oh, man. Can I tell you? By the way, some of you are like, oh, yeah, that's not me. <laughs> No way. You know when I think about a project due? The night before it's due. Okay. That's not good either, by the way. Just going to tell you. That's, that's, you're going to die of a heart attack, okay, if you get done. Okay. What is the root cause? Well, I want to be in control. By the way, I, there's things I want to be in control in too. I like to be in control. <laughs> is this right or wrong? No, it's wrong. What does the Bible say? Well, it has a lot to say, and I've listed a couple of verses there for you. Hey, what about fear? I'm afraid of what God is going to do. I've got this pain in my side. What if it's cancer? Okay, what if it is? Well, I'm afraid that it might be. Okay, why? Well, I don't want cancer. Well, I don't know of anybody that wants it, right? But what what do I want, really? What God thinks is best and what I think is best is not the same. Lord, I don't think it's best for me to have cancer right now because I got X and X and X and X to do. And after all, those are good things. Yeah, this is wrong. Again, the Word of God. God is a trustworthy God. He knows exactly what's been happening. Jeremiah Clark is an evangelist in our church who is currently going through a cancer battle. That's not what we expected. 
when he called me, he said, Pastor, are you sitting down? The results of my test today were cancer. And I said, what? He told me the other day, he said, Pastor, I've stopped praying that the chemo would work. My primary prayer is that God would accomplish what he wants in my life and then that the chemo will work. A big difference there. What about an outward godly response to difficulty? Well, you're like, well, that's good, right? What am I believing? I believe that God's in control. Absolutely. What's my motive? I want people to see me as godly. Uh Uh-oh. It's a right response with a wrong motive. We don't do things for the praise of man. Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 say that. Now, what you can do is if you'll be honest with yourself, you can work through this chart. And you can say, okay, what is, what is my designer lust? What do I struggle with? What am I really seeking after? What am I, what am I not believing or what am, I, what am I believing? Do I believe that God's really in control? Do I believe that God can really orchestrate things out? Or what, what's really happening here? And by the way, you're going to have to be honest with yourself. You might even have to say... God, what am I really believing? What do I really want? What is it that I really want out of this situation? Is it right or wrong? And then what does God have to say about it? Let me give you one other quick example. By the way, one last quote before I give you this example. I love this. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers every single time. One last illustration, I'll be done. I try to take Saturdays off. That's when I try to get my off day is on Saturdays if I can. There's a number of reasons for that. Um, a lot of pastors take Monday off. I personally always didn't want my family to get the, the, the ragdoll version of me on Monday when I'm wore out and feel like I've been hit by a Mack truck after a Sunday. I also want to be my freshest on Sunday because that's when most of my people see me. So there's a couple of reasons. It doesn't have anything to do with college football, I want you to know. Actually, it does have a lot to do with college football, too. I love watching it, so that's relaxing for me. But anyway, okay. So what was happening, and I'm, I'm going to be done here, okay. What was happening was on Saturdays, I found myself agitated. And so I'm like, okay, this is kind of crazy because, you know. And then as the Holy Spirit began to work on me, the Holy Spirit just said, well, part of your problem is the day's not going how you would like it to go which means you want to be in control. And therefore, you're aggravated at people who are not in the realm of what you want from them, whether that's your wife or somebody calling you on the phone or whatever. And the truth is, you've made rest and comfort a God. And I'm like, I got another one to add to the list, right? Now, is rest wrong? No, it's biblically commanded that we rest. We're supposed to do so. Is being comfortable wrong? Well, no, it's not wrong. Unless I lift it up and it become a God. And then when people interfere with my God, I get aggravated at them. Do you see how that works? And it's like, oh, man. Like, Lord, I am so sorry. I, I don't want to elevate that to this. So this will help you. Okay, now this is what you can do. You can leave chapel today. And I understand you got classes and all this kind of stuff. We can walk out of here, stuff this in a trash can or stuff in our Bible and walk away. 
But if you want victory over sins in your life, if you've got something that you have struggled with and struggled with and struggled with, take some time to work through this. You're like, I don't know what my root cause is. Come ask a faculty member. Go ask your pastor. Just say, can you help me with what a potential root cause is here? Because we might be able to do that. Might be able to point out some questions or whatever that'll help you. If you're like, well, I've got all that, but what are some Bible verses? Well, let's, let's sit down and talk about it. But you do some work. By the way, if you find one of those columns over there of yours, start memorizing and meditating on those verses because that scripture applied to that problem will help you. All right? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we have answers in your word. We, we are so grateful for that. And we love you in your name we pray. Amen.